Digital Marketer. Hello and Happy New Year. Hope everyone is getting a little bit of rest and a little bit of time with their loved ones. I know I certainly am. We're taking a little break this week and we'll be back next week. So please enjoy one of our very favorite episodes from the vault. Here it is. So first off, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. This is very exciting. You are very deep within everything Facebook and you have a long, long history with Facebook. So could you kind of just take us back to when you first started to see Facebook as a tool for your business and when you first started really diving in and and figuring Facebook out as a big opportunity for you? I ran my first Facebook ad 11 years ago in May 2007. And just like any new opportunity that's come out, like Quora or Snapchat ads right now, It was easy and cheap to get traffic. So we just ended up growing this thing. We built our own ad network on top of Facebook ads where we started to inject people's names and images and things like this because you could run banner ads. And if you remember 10 years ago, back when F8 first launched their developer platform, which was also, I think it was 2007, shows you how old I am. Do you remember the who has a crush on you and what's your IQ and who's been looking at your profile? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Most of those ads were run through our ad server. Really? Yeah, <laughs> we were doing over 100 million impressions a day, about $85,000 a day. And no one has ever seen personalized ads before. Can you imagine, Jenna, you see an ad that says, hey, Garrett and three of your friends have taken a quiz and they challenge you as well. And then it shows their pictures and their names inside that ad. Hmm. That was the beginning of sponsored stories. And the light bulb went off for me 10 years ago that the best ad is the one that is a friend's recommendation that has what your friends have said, that has your friends' pictures and names and quotes and all that. So an advertisement is something people are accustomed to seeing as from the brand that is trying to tell you to buy something. But imagine that it actually came from a person and it was interspersed in the newsfeed between other things that are from other people, you would never know that was an ad. But when you think about Facebook as a place where you have to personalize and the fact that they have something called a relevant score to see how relevant it is based on click-through rate, positive, negative feedback, it taught me, well, it's not the Facebook ads platform is good or bad. It's that we need to set up our content library in such a way that when we put our goals, content, and targeting into the machine, the machine can personalize for us. And that was kind of the aha moment that I got eight years ago where, okay, Facebook opened up their API. It allows us a myriad of targeting, lots of targeting. Some of it's been pulled back, as you know, but the fact that we can, for example, share someone else's review about us, the fact that we can take video and go live, the fact that it is the ultimate data collection and content harvesting tool that we can pay to get additional distribution of things that would have shown organically, said to me, we need to completely flip the idea of advertising and think about Facebook as the ultimate word of mouth machine. Sheryl Sandberg, who's their COO, calls it word of mouth at scale, Hmm. right? If you have people that are saying positive things about you, you can put money into the machine and the machine will figure out what's most relevant for Jenna based on her friends and will show her the ad, which is technically a piece of content that you're paying for, but I think of it as social postage. Technically it's an ad, but we're gonna let Facebook do the work 
to figure out how to make it the most relevant and exciting for you. So if we create the structure of content, what we call the topic wheel, that has all your content organized by different topics and organized by people, then the system can easily do the work instead of us trying to game the system like it was 10 years ago, where you're always trying to like cheat the system or trying to bid in a certain way. I remember there were companies and there still are companies that are like Marin or Kenshu or Ad Espresso, which is owned by Hootsuite now, where they would say, you could create thousands of ads, right? Because you have thousands of images, thousands of copies, th- thousands of landing page variations, and you could spin up, you know, gazillions of ads. And then they would say, yeah, we can create 1,000 ads per hour. Oh yeah, we can do 5,000 ads per hour. Oh yeah, well, we've got a razor blade with six blades and seven blades and an aloe strip. Like it felt like that. Yeah. And these guys thought they were being sophisticated in Facebook ads, but really what was happening in the auction was they were loading the auction with crap inventory and the system wasn't smart enough to figure out that it was a duplicate ad. So it would assign all new ads a default 2000 impressions or so. So if Garrett, you made 10,000 ads and let's say you bid the thing super low, you know, it's a question mark in the auction because the auction's got ads that are working, that working as in it's making money for Facebook and it's a good user experience for them and it's performing for you, right? All three parts, it's working. But there's all these new ads entering the auction that they have to figure out, is it a good ad or not? So they just assign every new ad default inventory. So if you created thousands of ads, then you would game the system by getting lots and lots of cheap inventory. But you knew that Facebook would realize after it gave it 2000 impressions, oh, this ad sucked. And then we just take the next one. Twitter still doesn't realize that. You could do the same thing right now on Twitter. Facebook's Mm. gotten smart about it in the last two years, so that technique doesn't work. And so all the PPC tools, that's why they don't perform on Facebook because that trick that worked no longer works. So it's always been, how do you trick the system? But I believe as of two years ago, Facebook's now figured out how to remove the incentive because when the machine's dumb, you know, I have a, a robot vacuum cleaner at home and it's really dumb because it gets stuck in the same spots. You can trick it, but now I don't think you can. Now I think you have an incentive to give the machine what it wants so it can do the work for you. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of just how, you know, you would go to a page that was just stacked with keywords, you know, and be redirected to the actual page they wanted you to go to. And it's just people trying to game the system and it just doesn't work anymore. It's just too smart. You can still cloak, you can still do keyword jamming, you can still do clickbait kind of, but the reason why the system has gotten smarter is not just because of machine learning. The whole newsfeed could not be possible without some heavy, heavy machine learning, but it's that Facebook is relying upon crowd dynamics. So if something gets enough negative feedback, if something gets a really low engagement rate, if there's a high clickback rate, meaning you click on that ad or you click on that post and you click back to the newsfeed and continue to scroll, they take that as a signal. So they're using the wisdom of the crowds instead of just pure AI, which is what Google's trying to do, to mm. win the game of figuring out, is this legit or not? So you eat at a restaurant and then you'll see something in your newsfeed and Facebook will say, hey, would you categorize this thing as a barbecue restaurant, right? So they're using the crowd to determine it. So I don't think you can fake the crowd out. You might be able to get away with it for a day or two, but you will be found out. So it's the ultimate Mm -hmm. use of reputation because the system is the ultimate reputation review system. I switched from iPhone to Android not too long ago, 
and I opted into Google's, hey, would you mind leaving feedback mm-hmm. at different places? And I got so sick of it because constantly they were asking me, hey, that restaurant that you just went to, mm-hmm. I know you just went there and ate there. What do you think of it? Would you rate that place? Was this a barbecue joint? Was it, you know, mm-hmm. it was just fascinating. So you talked a little bit about how you kind of got the attention of Facebook and you've actually met Mark Zuckerberg and spent some time at Facebook HQ. Mm-hmm. What was kind of that first time where Facebook was like, oh, who are these people? Who is this guy <laughs> that, that is, is yeah. figuring this out almost faster than we are? You know, it's kind of funny. You know when Facebook or any company becomes a big company, when they start to ask you questions about their own product and there's mm-hmm. different departments that don't coordinate. I want to say it was maybe 2009-ish or so. And we were hammering their ads platform. This is before there was an API where you could programmatically do, you know, an API is nothing more than two computers that are talking to one another. So our system was using curl to simulate a user that was loading ads because we were creating thousands and thousands of ads. And some of the engineers at Facebook on the ads team said, so I noticed you guys are making lots of ads. I'd love to meet with you guys and see like, how are you doing it? How are you using the product? What kinds of features would you like to have? What kinds of things aren't working quite so well? So that kicked off a series of meetings where we said, you know, a lot of the people that are running Facebook ads used to be or are still running Google AdWords. So if you had something that was just like AdWords editor, then we would love to do that because it would just make things easier because their interface, it took about two and a half minutes to load a new ad every time. So if you're making a thousand ads, you probably want to write a script to do that and have it run overnight or run for like two days, right? And so one of my friends over there, Brian Rosenthal, he then wrote Power Editor, which is basically copying AdWords Editor. And we requested a number of features and they started building that into the tool. And some of my friends were saying, you know, you should be charging Facebook for product development because you guys are (laughs) telling them what to build and what's working or not. But I thought it's worth it. I'm happy to go to Facebook. I've been to Facebook like 80 times in the last 10 years, which is like almost once a month. The number one reason I go is because I want to eat their food. Mm-hmm. And I've been at office. I've been at their offices in all different sorts of countries. We're here in Austin. You know, there's offices in Seattle and Menlo Park and London and Chicago and Singapore. I've been to all these different offices. I always rate their food. Like, <laughs> I still, I think LinkedIn has the best food of all the different. Really? Cap- yeah. And <laughs> and people talk about the barbecue at Facebook and Menlo Park. You know, they stole the head chef at Google, just like. They stole Sheryl really? Sandberg. Yeah, they stole all the engineers from Google. <laughs> That's funny. <Yeah. laughs> but by spending time with Facebook, seriously, we learn what's coming out. So we share the experiments that we run. And we, I believe, are like developer advocates because Facebook gives us and other folks money to test new products when they have betas that come out. So not only are we on the inside, we know what their product strategy is. They are paying us. If we do a good job, like we've done with the Warriors many times, they publish a case study, which is great marketing for us. They mention us at their conference. We get access to the very best people. So there's no better way of doing Facebook marketing than to be working with their people on their product. And I posted something about this, I think last week. Oh, if you really think that you're good at Facebook ads or want to share or want to pretend that you're world-class, you kind of have to be working with Facebook, don't you? And someone's like, no, you don't have to be. I'm like, well, I would question how strong is your strategy if you don't know where they're going, if you're not working with them regularly. It's their product. Yeah. So you kind of have to be working with them because they're the ones making the decisions. You're just a pimple on the elephant's butt. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of that, where are they headed? So think about the balanced ecosystem of what Facebook's trying to do. 
Okay. Mark Zuckerberg, because he has a dominant voting share, says that he wants to create a place for time well spent where people are able to build relationships so that the whole social nirvana, I truly believe that's what he wants to do. I don't believe that he's trying to do this to get rich. Obviously, he's got money too. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that's true and you believe that he's going to be able to keep control in spite of Wall Street trying to say, you know, it's time to keep making more profits, that's number one. Number two is they have to make advertisers happy. So if the advertisers aren't getting ROI, they're not going to put money there. They're going to put money in LinkedIn or some other random thing. And you guys know the cost of traffic has almost doubled every single year. Like five or six years ago, the average cost of a thousand impressions was 20 to 25 cents. Now it's almost $7 Hmm. and people are complaining and it will keep going up. I bet it'll be $10 by the end of the year. So they have to make advertisers happy. And three, they have to make money. I think they're running at like a 67, 68% gross margin. Every dollar that comes in, you know, almost 70 cents of its profit. Amazing. It's crazy. So if you recognize that that's a dynamic, what can they do? Given that the prices are going up, given that the supply, especially in the United States of traffic is about the same. Everyone's on Facebook. Oh, they're leaving to go to Instagram. Well, it's owned by Facebook too. Oh, they're using WhatsApp. That's owned by Facebook too. The amount of inventory is now about finite. So the demand is increasing. I have a degree in economics. You don't have to have that degree to know that supply and demand means the prices will continue to go up, just like it's been true in search. In the early days of search, one of my friends owned a karate studio. And before they had geotargeting, I bid on the keyword karate nationwide for a penny. And it still worked. Wow. The fact that he was in Dallas, right? I Like 99% of the traffic <laughs> mm-hmm. I could throw away and it was still profitable. Wow. And now the price is, of course, a lot more. Oh, yeah. And so Facebook's like that too. So what Facebook wants to do, which is the exact opposite of what Google wants to do, is automate your ability to buy and get results, right? Google was built by a number of really smart engineers. I'm going somewhere. So listen, Google's <laughs> built by really smart engineers who assumed that everyone else was as smart in terms of wanting to become geeks and get under the hood and start to turn wrenches, right? Because you build products for your friends, you know, you dog food it, which is what it's called in Silicon Valley. And thus there are 6 million advertisers that have used AdWords worldwide. But a lot of small businesses just don't want to do it. And that's where the bulk of the market is. Right? It's walking down Main Street, you have restaurants, doctors, plumbers, attorneys, roofers, all these people. They do not want to screw around with the details of setting up ads and ad sets and bids and landing pages. They don't want to do that. They want to fix roofs and clean your teeth and do whatever they're doing. Right? Facebook's realized, hey, we want to make it so that all you have to do is put in your goals, content, and targeting. The items that you drop into the magic box, press the button, and like a vending machine, it will give you more of whatever you put in there more profits, more clients, more leads. Now, how would they do that? Here, I'll give you something that you probably haven't thought of, but now it will be obvious to you in plain sight. There's a reason why a Facebook business page looks and behaves exactly like a profile. Because if you know how to operate on Facebook as a user using your profile, you already are trained on using a page, right? Because you're posting, there's a timeline, there's feedback, you can send messages. All of these things are the same. And so the wording and the application are intentionally confusing. So confusing that people say, oh, did you see Marcus just posted on my page? No, he didn't. He posted on his profile, on his user profile, not on his business page. So we want to game that system. I consider this white hat. Some people may disagree. I believe everyone who is running a business should have one or multiple public figure pages, 
like we talked about in our training here a mm -hmm. couple of days ago. Why? Because it looks just like a user, because it looks like a user's profile. They should also have a messenger bot that's tied to it. Why? Because messages look just like messages from friends, whether it's from a business or whatever, it works the same, right? You're simulating these real user conversations. So Facebook, by bringing that business experience or the whole point of friction in advertising all the way back to the kinds of things that you would do in one-on-one -on -one interactions, but at scale with the customer, means that they've got to collect goals, content, and targeting. Goals, they've automated mostly because now you choose your business objective and Facebook does the sub-targeting and the bidding for you. Content, that's the hardest part. That means they have to give you an incentive to collect all the positive feedback, all the reviews, people are saying good things about you. When you put your pixel on the website, when you upload your custom audiences, that allows them an opportunity to track all these other people and suggest content. That's why you see things like in the carousel or collections or product catalogs, the new stuff coming out with Facebook Canvas are all ways to try to collect the good things that people are already saying about you so that you don't have to produce the content. So that's the content automation. Targeting, optimized CPM, the business-based objectives, lookalike audiences. These are all ways where if you set up your pixel and tracking and all these other items, Facebook will do the targeting for you. Like we talked about in the workshop a couple of days ago, if we have an ad set that's producing conversions, results, leads, like whatever it is you're looking for, you then clone that and run that against the entire universe. Assuming that if you're selling beer, then you have legal drinking age in each of the different countries. So there's certain restrictions based on that category. But in terms of those, you would just run untargeted, right? Can you imagine that? Like, I've considered myself for years to be like the geek who's like really good at targeting and knowing all the nooks and crannies on how you can assemble different audiences. In the last few years, when I have tried to test head to head where Facebook's algorithm running untargeted against the universe versus me trying to use all my different tricks, I get beat every time. Really? Yeah. So what does that mean? It means if we feed in the goals, content, and targeting, and we have our tracking set up properly, the system does 95% of the work. That's good to hear. It's like <laughs> a Cambridge Analytica thing, right? The yeah. whole, like, the Russians are using Facebook ads to manipulate the election. No, they're not. It's not because, oh, we've got, like, millions of profiles, and we've got all these psychological things to manipulate mm -hmm. you that's all subconscious. That's not that at all. It's that the Russians were using Facebook system the way that it was intended to be used. Mm. If you have your tracking set up, right, the pixels and the custom audiences, and then you put in your goals, content, and targeting that any small business owner who has a dollar a day can do, the system is so powerful now. You don't have to worry about like algorithms and programming and logic and like, you don't have to worry about that anymore. So do you think media buyers are becoming obsolete? Okay, so do you think bank tellers are obsolete? Do you think the people at the grocery store that scan the stuff at the checkout are obsolete? Oh, these are good comparisons. Do you think that travel agents are obsolete? Do you remember before the internet? You guys maybe aren't old enough for this, but you used to not be able to go online and figure out what the fare was from Austin to Los Angeles. You had to go to a person and that person would have to go to this big clunky saber terminal, type the stuff in and tell you what the price was. So- it's not that Facebook marketers or advertisers or whatever SEO people or AdWords people are obsolete. It's that two thirds of what they're currently doing now manually can be handled by a robot. So you have two reactions. One is, oh my goodness, now that Facebook's replacing all this other stuff, the machines are getting smarter, what am I going to do? And that's true. 
the majority of what you're doing with ad optimization. For example, most people don't even know that there's something within Business Manager called automated rules where you can have the system turn ads on and off, ad budget, whatever, based on thresholds that you give it. So you don't have to come monitor your campaigns anymore. Almost nobody's using it. Hmm. Facebook has analytics, which I would argue is as good as Google's website analytics, and they have more data. You can build funnels, you can track different cohorts, you can do all kinds of stuff. I have yet to see anyone with training on that. Amazing, right? There's a lot of manual stuff that we're doing that you don't have to do. Two thirds or more, 90% even, depending on what you're doing, of what media buyers are doing can be handled automatically by the system. So the second reaction is, this is fantastic. That means I'm getting better results by using the system. I don't have to work as hard and I can charge just as much money. Like why wouldn't an agency or consultant or an in-house marketer rejoice and say, yeah, that's fantastic. So one of the folks that taught at our workshop, he spends $3 million a year on Facebook ads and drives a ton of profit for that company. And he does almost nothing in his Facebook ads account. And when Facebook looked at the account and we spent some time with them together in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, they said, yeah, actually we noticed that when you guys keep touching the account, your results go down because then the system resets mm. the ad rank. And so the system has to learn again. You got to rebuild the ad rank for all those different ads and ad sets. So it's not to say, oh, no, don't ever touch your ads because I'm afraid it's going to like fall apart or like it's fragile. But hey, DM listeners, did you know that you can generate leads from Instagram without using any landing pages or websites? If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Instagram actually allows businesses and influencers to set up automations to automatically capture leads through the Instagram inbox. So this means that you can generate leads for your business all using 100% automated Instagram messages. And the good news is our friends at Bot Builders can show you exactly how to do it. They're an industry leader, and these guys have landed some of the biggest clients in the world. So if you want to learn how to use Instagram automation to generate leads, go check out their free training at botwebinar.com. They'll show you exactly how it works. You'll see a live demo and also how you can start using their pre-built templates to start going after big clients yourself. Once again, that's botwebinar.com. We find the number one problem is that people are over-touching their ads and they're over-targeting, meaning they think they know exactly who is the right target. And they say they target down this really, really tiny thing when they really should have opened it up to larger targets. They should have had fewer campaigns. They should have let the system do the work. So we have less work to do. And now the problem is that people, for some reason, especially these new hardcore geek people like, yeah, it's my first year of Facebook advertising. I'm going to like, you know, like a new cop out of the police academy. I'm going to like take down <laughs> the bad guys. So they want to turn all the knobs all day long, right? Mm-hmm. These knob turners and lever pullers. And so they're in there because they want to show, they think that somehow it's about technical sophistication. And then you have people like me or like Logan Young who have spent a lot of money, like over a billion dollars on Facebook ads. And we look at ad accounts and we say, you know, we only want to touch a few things. We want to set up some very simple campaign structures, and then we're going to let the system do 95% of the work. That's how you tell whether someone's a pro or not at Facebook ads. Are they in there all the time trying to touch the campaigns? That's a sign that they didn't structure things properly, and they keep resetting their ad rank. They don't know what's working, so they're just frantically trying to do everything that's possible. That's an emergency. The last thing you want, if you go into an emergency room and you see a, a surgeon operating, is him frantically like throwing organs around all over the place. Like, you know that <laughs> things are not in control, right? Yeah. yeah. So you touched on the whole Cambridge Analytics scandal. And, and we actually sat down, I guess that was a couple of months ago now, and talked right. about the, what does this mean for marketers? Are people freaking out over nothing? And, and you talked about how it's like, listen, 
this is all okay. Mm -hmm. This isn't as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. The media is kind of, Mm. you know, cooking up this story. You know, now that we're kind of past the headlines, past Mm -hmm. what's happened in the media and and in the new Facebook reality, per se, what changes have come about from that that you see as, as a good thing moving forward? I don't see this as a good thing. I see things like GDPR, being a reinforcement of the EU DPD that has already been around for eight or nine years. The fact that you have to have a social security number to be able to run ads that may be political sounds good, but you have a lot of people that are targeting by religion or race or what have you that are not running politics. One of our friends has the basically the Netflix for Mormons. So if you target Mormons, technically that's religion, then he's getting stuff disapproved because it, oh, is this a political ad? There's so many ads being created on Facebook that they cannot handle them all through manual review. I don't know how many thousands of people they have trying to review ads, but these guys have like fractions of a second to look at ads. So it's easy to get ads disapproved. I know that they're trying to do it programmatically. They're using machine learning to determine when ads are good or not. Just like with messenger bots, where something's sponsored or not sponsored, where you can send non-sponsored messages, but how do you tell? Because people are trying to cheat the system. They're using machine learning. I don't think that's something that's going to be sustainable. I think that, like you saw what happened with the EU parliament, like questioning Zuckerberg, basically their equivalent of, Senator, we run ads, right? (laughs) (laughs) Logan and I, we consulted the EU on this two years ago. We flew out to Europe and we had all the social media managers for all the countries within the EU, which I don't remember how many there are, but a lot. And we were educating them on the latest changes on Facebook, which I thought is kind of funny because these are the guys that are coming out with the laws on privacy. And then they're Mm -hmm. asking us what we think, what we think is going to happen. So I think that there's a lot of noise. If anything, that might be an opportunity for the rest of us while everyone else is distracted. And Mm -hmm. the more I hear people say, oh, well, Facebook doesn't work anymore. Organic reach is dead. My ads don't perform. I just smile because I think that's more traffic for us. You guys go complain over there. Meanwhile, we'll just make money. So let's talk F8. So at F8, a lot happened. You know, Zuckerberg kind of talked about everything that's happened this year. It's been a big year for Facebook. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you saw come out of F8 that you're just like excited about? Some things that Mm -hmm. people may not have realized are the next big thing or, or something that they can take back to their businesses and use. So F8, as you know, is the developer conference. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of technical things that are occurring with the different APIs because Facebook is building a platform that allows other developers and developer agencies to create new tools that sit on top of Messenger, that take advantage of Instagram stories, that tie in with WhatsApp and the new cameras that they're developing. A lot of cool, geeky stuff, kind of like Google I.O., like you saw a couple weeks ago, the whole like fake call to the beauty salon, (laughs) fooling people based on the voice. All those things are really cool, but what's practical and meaningful to us as marketers is two or three things. One is that AI is so smart that we can just put in our goals, content, and targeting and allow the system to resize our ads across stories. For example, cut up our videos into 15-second clips so it can run inside stories. Or having content that is sequenced in such a way that we can run it inside Messenger and integrate with our email systems, call tracking systems, what have you. All of these things are pointing towards simulating what a real relationship would be like. The old-time shopkeeper that remembers your preferences before the days of the internet. It's so funny. It feels like Westworld, right? You ever <laughs> see that show where yeah. Westworld is, on one hand, it's super high tech where you can't even tell like who's actually a robot versus not. 
On the other hand, it's super old fashioned because there's a saloon and they're playing, mm-hmm. there's a player piano and there's all this like Wild West stuff going on. And Facebook feels like that for me too, where some of these guys are hosts, but they're so smart. Like you don't know if there's actually a thing inside them where they're like communicating with the Borg or whatever, right? <laughs> and and then what is it Dolores says? Because someone asked the, the host like, hey, are you real or not? And she says, well, if you can't tell, does it matter? Right? <laughs> and I feel like that's true on Facebook where Facebook's getting so smart at figuring out what messages you want, making recommendations, that you don't know whether it's a human behind that that's sending that message or it's actually the machine, which is kind of scary, but also thrilling at the same time. I wouldn't worry about all the little API changes Like there's a bunch of changes in the graph API. I don't think we have a technical audience here, but if people want to talk about that, about how certain kinds of permissions are being pulled, a lot of analytics tools are getting killed. A lot of data at the user level, you can no longer pull that you used to, which is a shame. Like Gritix has been one of my favorite tools on group Mm -hmm. analytics, but most of that's been killed because, you know, they don't allow you to pull user data, which was really the cool thing in creating leaderboards and stuff like that. So it's been 11 years since their first F8. And this most recent F8, it's unfortunate because it used to be super geeky and we used to all hang out. And I think it's because of the Cambridge Analytica thing. This one felt like half of it was PR. Like, Hmm. oh, we take care of our users and we protect your privacy and we're not here to try to be Skynet or something like that. Right, right. So it's it's a shame. Yeah. But I think they have to because Facebook's now so mainstream – it's like the federal government. They're a battleship. They're not just some cool little startup anymore. They are a huge company. So they're not going to release a lot of cool stuff. They're still innovating just because you don't see as many cool things. Or maybe maybe it was disappointing for you, Garrett. But for me, what I see is the majority of the enhancements that Facebook's been making has been inside their system. And it's the same thing that Apple does, where in order to make things simple for the user, they have to make things complicated inside So the system handles all of that for you. And then allow the advertiser or marketer or consultant to take credit for the campaigns that are doing well, as long as you use the system the way it was intended. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) That's the best way to put it. I love that. One thing I always like to ask is, you've gone through a lot in your career. You've seen so many things happen with Facebook, so many things happen with building a business. Mm -hmm. What's one thing you wish you could go back and tell your 25-year-old self? Man... If I could go back to my 25-year-old self, which was 18 years ago. <laughs> I was old back, back in my day. We used to walk uphill both ways. Focus on the relationships. Don't be in such a hurry. I have always been in such a hurry because I'm afraid that these windows of opportunity, especially because I was in Silicon Valley for such a long time, you get into this echo chamber where you feel like you don't have much time. And there's always this next thing. You got to keep up with the news and you're constantly off balance because you're so busy. I would have said, hey, focus on the relationships. Focus on the fundamentals. When you talk to the pros, someone who's pro at whatever it is, pro at basketball, pro at the piano, pro at Facebook ads, pro at whatever, you don't see them hurry. You don't see them out of control. You don't see them constantly looking for changes or being scared. And so when you go back to the basics of goals, content, and targeting and having tracking in place, you can be intelligently ignorant about all these changes that occur instead of like, oh my goodness, this one thing happened, Garrett. I got to completely change my strategy. (laughs) Yeah. No, you don't. Awesome. Well, I love that. Dennis, where can people find you and find out more about you? 
They can find me on LinkedIn. All I get right. more ROI and reach on LinkedIn, more <laughs> engagement on LinkedIn than I do on Facebook. So you can search for my name there or Google me. Do not friend request me on Facebook. I am at the <laughs> 5,000 limit. I've been there for years. You can follow my page instead of my profile, or you can email me, Dennis at Blitzmetrics. I always reply to all the emails. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks so much for stopping yeah. by, Dennis. This has Thank been you, great. Thank you, Jenna. Absolutely. This has been awesome. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.